I was so excited, and people all week have been coming up to me and saying, wow, that was amazing. And, and if you missed it, well, and I'm sorry, you may have heard about it, but you can actually go online now. If you go onto the website, go to media, uh, we uh, do a video of the second service now, and you can actually see what happens. So I'm not going to spoil the fun, uh, but uh, just check that out. If you missed it, you can see what happened. And, and, and to, to be honest, to be here was, was, was the thing, but uh, it was a great thing to do. Anyway, just to recap, um, we're talking about God and money uh, last week and this week, and this really began as we approached Christmas, and I was thinking about, as always, with a growing family, have four adult children, and they're producing grandchildren, and that's a great joy. And the family seems to grow and extend and expand, and our friendships and our, those whom we love and care about seems to multiply. And, and Christmas, for every single one of us, becomes a case of, oh my gosh, how are we going to manage this? And we were thinking about budgeting, and I caught myself being a bit sort of Scrooge-like, so I probably need to watch the Muppet movie. But uh, I, I found myself being a bit Scrooge-like, and then I was challenged, and I went before God, and I was thinking about me and my giving, and God and his giving, and so on and so forth. And uh, hopefully, if you were here last week, you will have caught that. But uh, the whole business of giving, I said last week, begins with God and his giving. And we use John 3.16. Uh, we'll just flash that up again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have, have, have eternal life. And I want to just unpack one word because of a comment that somebody made in this last week about whether or not somebody was deserving of the generosity that was shown them. And uh, they were concerned that, that uh, we hadn't done checks to find out whether the people who were, were, were blessed last week were deserving. And I just want to say to you, do you know, respectfully, that's the wrong question. It's the right question if you are, if you are heading up a charity and, and wanting to make sure that you use those, those funds responsibly. But what happened last week was I personally, Chris Lane, gave some money away. And a number of individuals gave money away. It wasn't the church's money, it was your money. And that was the whole point. You know, it would have been quite easy for me to stride through the church and grab a wadge of notes out of the offering and give that away. That's easy. It's easy to give other people's money away. But if you do so, you have to be very responsible. But when it comes to your own money, you know, what you do with it is really between you and God. And so I wanted to just say, look, as I say, respectfully, that's the wrong question because look at this. This is our, our interpretive key for the whole subject of God, money, giving, and the rest. For God so loved the world. The world. How many deserving people do you think were there when God decided to send his son? 100,000? Put your hand up if you think there were 100,000 deserving people, people who were deserving of being saved. 10,000. More. A million. One hundred. Almost like pick a number. Well, I'm going to give you the answer. The answer was and is a big zero. No one is deserving of God's forgiveness and salvation. That's the point of the gospel. That's what makes the gospel good news. Not one 
No matter how well you think you're doing with your religion, not one is deserving of salvation. That's the whole point of the gospel. And you may be sitting there like on the back of that prophetic word and feeling an absolute heel and wanting to run screaming from the building and you're only here out of desperation. And you may be looking around thinking these guys, they They're all so nice and so together, they have no idea. You may be sitting judging those around you. The truth of the matter is, you don't know what's going on in people's lives, and we're all undeserving. That's the gospel. That is the gospel. And if you forget everything I say this morning, and you get that, well, then I will die a happy man. Because there is confusion in the church. I remember preaching a, a message once, a gospel message, probably on the back of this, and two church wardens' wives came up to me. It was in another church, but it could happen here. And they poked me in the chest and saying, if, you, if what you say is true, that means murderers and child abusers can get to heaven. yes. They were bristling with self-righteousness. But God loved the undeserving. God so loved the undeserving. That was the depth of his love and compassion that he sent his one and only son. As I say, if you remember just that and forget the rest, I'll be happy. Let's move on. Let me just pray. Father, I want to say thank you because truthfully, if, if we get that, we've got it all. Suddenly we realize that that it's by grace that we're saved. Not by good works, but by grace. And that's the measure of it all. That you have died for us and saved us when we were undeserving. We're all recipients. We're all recipients of grace upon grace upon grace. And we thank you for that, Lord. Now help me to continue with this talk in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week... uh, uh, I, t- I spoke about that spirit of poverty, which is an attitude thing. It can beset all of us. You know, please do listen to the podcast, if not watch the video or whatever, if you want a bit of background on this. But I talked about the spirit of poverty. And the spirit of poverty, I believe, is a real spiritual entity. Jesus seemed to think this too. He's, he, he, you know, there wasn't just good luck and bad luck. Luck doesn't come into it. Luck is, a, luck is just something that the enemy just sort of tosses out. Excuse me, sweethearts, you've left your, your gloves here. I know the sermon's bad, but I didn't really know that bad. But <laughs> Anyway, you got your gloves. So, um, where was I? Yeah, breaking the spirit of poverty. So the spirit of poverty is something that comes upon both rich and poor. You know, uh, uh, it, it, it can be, it, it's an attitude thing. It's a, a sense of having nothing. Uh, uh, and, and that affects us and gnaws away at the inside of us. And what that does within us is that we, we find ourselves clamping down and becoming fearful and there's no generosity, no grace in us and we become critical, we become judgmental. Uh, it, it really is a, a bit of a state to be in and it is, I believe, a spiritual entity and that needs to be broken and one of the ways we break that is by being generous, by, by being extra generous because it completely goes against the grain. You cannot have a spirit of poverty with you, within you if you, if you, if you are generous. Last week, uh, and I haven't got permission to, 
to give you the details of the, of the young woman that came up at the front uh, during the 9.30 service. I have the permission of the lady who came to the second service, and I will tell you more about that in just a moment. But, but um, you know, when we were generous to this young lady, we, we, it was just a wonderful thing. We didn't know anything about her. I didn't know anything about her. But I, all I, I can say is that, that I had feedback and reports from others during the week that, in their view, I could not have picked if I had run a sort of great big means test a more, more worthy and deserving person. Now, that was totally God. It truly was. And it had a profound impact. And people are talking about that uh, in positive lights. Your generosity broke something. It, it challenged them. They were surprised by it. So, you know... I'll say it, but you'd probably be uncomfortable. I want to pat you on the back because it was quite something. It really was. And, uh, you know, people just flooded forward and just gave that dear woman money. And it was, it was exciting. It was tremendous. And then I, I want to say this, that, you know, I have observed, this isn't in the scriptures, but I have observed something. And that's, and that's this, that, that people who love, love to give. People who love, love to give. You know, uh, you may know this too, but there are one or two people in my life who I have found that I have to be very careful what I say to them. Because if I happen to say to them, well, that is a really nice picture. Or if I say to them, that is a really nice lawnmower. Or, or, wow, that's a fantastic new car you've got. They'll want to give me it. I, I, I seriously, I've met people, and they are wonderful people, who hold so lightly to the things of this world and are so in Christ and have so fallen in love with him and his grace, knowing that they are undeserving, that I have to be careful what I say around them because if I'm not careful, they start giving me everything. Anybody, ever, anybody else ever met anyone like that? You see, it's surprising, isn't it? There's a many of you have. There are certain people you have to be careful what you say to. Because before you know it, they've given you it. They're the worst person to be polite with in the sense of if you go in and you think that's an awful picture over the fireplace. And you say, oh, uh, how, how unusual, how extraordinary, how, how interesting. The next thing, they've given you it. And when they come and visit, they want to know where it is. <laughs> so you have to be really careful and truthful and honest. But I have observed this, that people who love, love to give. It is just one of those things. It's part of the character of God. God is not like this jovial sort of person who, you know, when he's in a good mood and in his cups and, you know, sort of suddenly, you know, giving big tips to the taxi driver and this kind of, He's not like that. He's not somebody who visits generosity. He is generosity personified. God so loved the undeserving that he gave. It's an extraordinary counterculture thing. And he, aspire, he, he calls us to aspire to be the same with others. People who love, love to give. But also, I have noticed that for some people, it's, not, it's, more, it's gone beyond the, the sort of spontaneous generosity, which is, I think, where I'm going with this. I, I remember when we first started the church, Fliss and my, myself, and you know it was, it was tough, you know, it really was tough. 
And after about a few months into planting this church, we were living in a rented house up near Waitrose on Antonine Gate. One morning I came down and got the mail out of the little mailbox, and there was 100 pounds in it. And I cannot tell you, rather like that dear woman that, for whom that money was just an answer to prayer, I won't say any more, but a hundred pounds for us at that point in time, or for many people today, was just a total answer to prayer. And, and I, I, I don't mind you, I was moved, saying I was moved to tears. It was just, God knows, it was just what we needed. The extraordinary thing was, was that around about the same time next month, guess what? There was a hundred pounds. And uh, this went on for month after month in those early days of the church when we were living up at Antonine Gate. It went on for about 17 or 18 months. By pure chance, later on, I wondered whether it was an angel, I just didn't know, you know, but it always seemed to come at the right time. But by pure chance, some many years later, I, I actually found out that it was somebody who was in the church. It was just an accident, really, sort of accident. But what struck me about that was that that giving was intentional. And this is really what I want to encourage you to aspire to and to work towards. Not just being generous and spontaneous. That's a precious thing. The Bible calls that acts of righteousness. These, these things are called acts of righteousness. And, and Father loves them because it's his heart. But there is also an intentionality. As we, we you know, and... And I have come to the conclusion that if people who love, love to give, then love is a decision. And I, I, I'm sorry if that disappoints you Hollywood buffs, where love is just fuzzy-wuzzy feelings, stars, candlelit dinners, and all the rest. I love that stuff too. I do. I get all gooey over that. But the truth of the matter is that love is a decision. And it was a decision that drove Father to send Jesus to die for the undeserving. It wasn't a, oh my gosh, would you mind going quick? Okay, great. It wasn't sort of in the spur of the moment. It was something that the scripture tells us God had planned since before time itself. There was an intentionality about it. Love is a decision. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and we looked at this last week, it says each of you should give what you have decided. So there should be something structured. There should be something in the way you budget. Do you know, I am so pleased I'm teaching about sort of budgeting as we run up to Christmas, because we could all go a bit crazy at Christmas, and then come February, when you get the credit card bills, you think, what was I thinking of? Did we really need that six-foot-high Santa in the middle of the lawn, you know? <laughs> I've been there, I've done it. It seemed like a good idea at the time, but uh, afterwards, as I'm trying, struggling to find space for it in the loft, I think, what was I thinking of? Why didn't somebody stop me, you know? So this kind of is, is a very... I've never done... I talk like this at this time of year, so it's probably a good time. But love is a decision. Love is a decision. You know, and in all things, in terms of discipleship and following Jesus, there is an element of training in it. You know, giving, you need to train yourself in the art, science, whatever you like to call it, of giving. That's why I love tithing. That's why I, you know, I, I have... For Fliss and I have since for, for 30 years given 10% of our income uh, 
to the church, and we've done that. Before we started this church, we did it when we were in other churches, and we have done that, and we felt, we did it because we felt it was what God was saying we should do, and we've never found a reason to stop that. But we have all, you know, we, we, we hope, please God, it's for God to judge, we've been generous beyond that, but we've always, we've always trained ourselves, whatever our circumstances, to be in, in that habit, that training of tithing, that intentionality. And, and, and we, uh, you know, it's served us well, and I believe it has blessed God. So training uh, is, is really what we're into, and that's what I love about tithing, because otherwise it just, it just becomes what's left at the end of the month. And very often, for most of us, there isn't anything left. You know? and, and so it, it, it really has become what, what I call the five-finger exercise of generosity for us. You know what the five-finger exercise is? You learn how to play piano, you know, most musicians will have some kind of exercises they have to do. And it's the only way you're ever gonna progress as a musician, it's the only way you're gonna progress as a disciple. If you train yourself, if you devote yourself to not just tithing, but various spiritual disciplines. I'm sorry to mention it because it is such an unfashionable concept in this day and age. But God has never been a follower of fashion. He just does his thing and invites us to join in his dance. And, and I'm happy to, although I didn't dance this morning, that joy is still to come, but I'm happy to join in his dance because I have found life goes better when I dance to his tune rather than follow fashion. So it's a little unfashionable, but so, so what? And at that point, I think I want to just sort of press this in a little bit because God says some things that are deeply um, unpopular and, and challenging to some. And so I just want us to very quickly look at Malachi 3. There's a passage here. and I'll read it off. Oh, I can't really see it from there. I'll do it from here. But in Malachi 3, I'm shocked by this. I read it this morning in my quiet time just by way of preparation. I was shocked by it. And uh, it says here in verse 7, it says, uh, and I'll begin um, in the middle of the verse, they return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Now he's speaking to his kids, to the world, he says, come. To the undeserving, he says, come. But once we're in the family of the elect, once we're part of the church, his family, then he begins to discipline and treat us like his children. It says in Hebrews 11, he disciplines his sons. No discipline is, is, uh, is fun at the time. It's painful, but it leads to love and righteousness. It keeps us safe. And so God is speaking to his church here, his people. He says, return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? And then, he, then God says this shocking thing. He says, will a mere mortal... Will a mere mortal rob God? But you ask, how are we robbing you? And Father's really specific here. In tithes and offerings. In tithes, the 10% and offerings, the acts of righteousness. You are under a curse, he says, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. And then he goes on to say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may, that there may be food in my house. The tithe is to come to the, the household of God. It's how the household of God sustains itself. You know, I said last week, you know, to use the trivia, 
Donuts don't appear by magic. They have to be paid for. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no, not enough room to store it. That's hard words. The Lord is saying, you know, if, if, I, if, I, if I cease tithing or I don't tithe, I'm robbing him. God knows I don't want to be in that place. And the discipline that he, he puts on my life is uncomfortable. You know, I have uh, these grandchildren who I dote on, and, and the eldest one, River. We were, we were down in the park during the, earlier on in the autumn before she went back to school. We were down in the park, and we were feeding the ducks. And this became a little routine for a few weeks. So we'd go down on my day off with my, the rest of my family. We'd go down to Verilamian Park. We'd get some bread. We'd feed the ducks. And, and, and she was just... She learned that not to be scared of the geese, and you know, you don't have to be scared of the geese, just sort of man up and push on through and they back off, okay? So I'm telling my, you know, four-year-old daughter to man, granddaughter to man up and push on through, which sort of works. But anyway, we're feeding her, uh, feeding the ducks, and um, there's always this thing, aren't there, isn't there, with young children, they want to go close to the edge. They just want to get right on the edge, and you know, I'm a little bit more cavalier, I suppose it's because I'm a bloke, but, but Fliss does not like them getting near the edge, you know. Nor does my daughter. They're always saying, come back from the edge, come back from the, come back from the edge, because they want to get right up to the edge, toes curling over the end, you know. Uh, and I said, come back from the edge, and then suddenly River turned around to me, and she sort of put her hands on her hips, and she looked at me, and she just said, Papak, that's my name to her. She says, Papak, I don't want you to say that to me. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. She was, you know, she wanted to go on the edge and, you know, run the real risk of falling in. And I'm saying, come back from the edge, come back. And all of a sudden she says, Papak, I don't want you to say that to me. We had a, a learning moment at that point. But you know, sometimes I think, when it comes to money, that we're childish. And we, we want to say to God, we want to say, Abba, I don't want you to say that to me. No, don't say that to me. I, no, 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 no. I don't want you to say that to me. There are some things that we don't want to, Father to say to us, particularly when it comes to money. But you know what? We've got to hear it. We've got to man up. May not be able to fix it overnight, but we need to grow up a little with it. We really do. This, uh, at the second service last week, we, we had a lovely lady. We did the same thing. Uh, for those of you who missed it very briefly, a very rare occurrence, I started gave, giving tenors away, my own money. And um, after a while, because I only had two tenors, I ran out of tenors to give away, so, but there were more hands going up of people who wanted tenors. And so I said, has anybody got a tenor for this person? Anybody? So people started getting up and bringing tenors in and swapping, swapping it around. It was great fun. It just actually was, it was joy. It broke something. And I had been praying beforehand, saying, God, just, I know what I want to do next. Just lead me to someone for whom this will be really significant. 
And my prayer, um, so I asked the question, I said, does anybody need more than a tenner? And a dear woman sat somewhere over there called Sharon, uh, put her hand up. This was at the second service. And so I said, Sharon, I don't embarrass you, but come down here. She didn't know what was going to happen. She came down, she stood at the front there. And if you were here last week, you saw it with the other lady. And she stood there, and I said, okay, um, has anybody got a tenner to give to Sharon here? And so somebody came forward. And anybody else? She needs more than a tenner. And somebody else. And then people just started to flood down. You can see this on the, on, on the video. And she was standing there, and uh, she had so many f- notes. I saw 50-pound notes go in. I- I'm serious. I saw 50 pounds, and it, it overflowed onto the floor. I was picking it up. And, she, and then I thought, when is this going to stop? And uh, it was literally overflowing. And finally, it did stop, and she kind of screwed it all up, looking absolutely shocked, and went back to her seat. And I got this email during the week. I'm not going to read all of it, because it includes some detail, which, although she would probably be OK without me reading it, I'm not going to do that, just to protect her dignity. But let me just read this to you. I'll just have a sip of water here. She says, I'm called Sharon, and I'm a regular attendee of your church. I normally attend the 11.30 service and also help out on the refreshment team. I'm a single mum with two boys, Harry and Harvey, aged nine and four, respectively. They, too, attend the children's service. God blessed me last Sunday tremendously, and I'm still in shock. I didn't sleep well, but still I'm praising him continuously. This year has been a really difficult one for me. I separated from my husband of seven years. Last Sunday, you preached about tithing, and also my friend Somalier has told me again and again about the importance of tithing. I prayed about it, and I asked God to teach me about tithing. I started tithing from last month's salary. Well, last weekend, I had no money whatsoever to cover my transport costs for the coming week. I I only had £10 left on my overdraft, and I asked a dear friend of mine if she could lend me £30 so that I could buy some food for my boys. Unfortunately, she could not help. Anyway, I said to God, please help me to use this £10 well and and buy only the necessities for my boys and and also to forgive me. I will have to lie to my boss that I'm ill on Monday since I didn't have any money for my travel card. And when I got paid on Wednesday, I could then buy my travel card. So yesterday, during the offering, I gave God the 20 pence I had left with and said to him, That's all I have, please accept. You know what happened next. And I still look back on that event with total shock and wonder at what God has done. I will forever praise him, and my prayer to God is never to fall short of serving him and hungering for his word. To learn to hear his voice and also to ask him to help to bless others as he has blessed me. I know things are going to work out now, and I thank God, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Did he get that? 
She started tithing this month, ran out of money. And God wanted to teach her, and I believe us, a lesson. Because she had so much money that it was falling on the floor. If you were here, you saw it. These things matter to God, not because he's short of a few bob, but because it does things in us. He trains us to be like him, lovers of the undeserving, those who do not walk around with this spirit of poverty, as so many do, but who are working and walking out of that into a life that is filled with his love and generosity. Amen. Amen. Let's have the worship team back up. Would you mind standing while we just pray?